0: Welcome back to Roll for Enterprise, the podcast described as the squishy heart at the center of Enterprise IT, where for the first time in a long time, you have all four hosts with us. So welcome back, everyone. It's great to talk to you all.
1: I feel like I didn't go anywhere. What? what
0: you guys are the ones gallivanting everywhere. What's happening?
2: Wait, was I meant to gallivant?
0: <laughs> I think so. I think Did so. do um, moderate and moderate gallivanting. That's a fair call. Uh, thanks for keeping things going and you recorded a couple of great episodes without me so now i'm feeling a little bit insecure over here
1: (laughs) oh we'll we'll have to give you most of the talk
0: time now yeah there you go
2: and you can recover by posting pictures of gallivanting
0: yes yes exactly in an audio only medium let's uh, concentrate on the talk and the pictures can stay in the (laughs) private chat between us hosts there's been some interesting news in enterprise software. People are definitely back from their beach holidays and getting back to work. Something that's caused both of my eyebrows to rise all the way up to the top of my head was Databricks' latest round of funding. A Series H. I don't recall ever seeing a Series H round before. That's uh, a new one. So that was $1.6 billion with a B after they only raised in like, February. February they raised another billion. So that's uh, that's pretty huge.
1: I mean, they're hot in the AI space, right? They're hot in the AI space, so that's why everybody's gonna throw money at them. And I think they're one of the better known companies if you're not building AI internally to to help you. So, yeah, I'm I'm not so surprised.
3: Well, that's crazy. Somebody wants their money back. I mean, who's that's right. They're in the angel round and Series A and B. I mean, I'm surprised somebody's not calling for their money.
2: What is the exit on something like that? Like, what does that? Obviously, it's only in the public markets because you, you can't even dream of an acquisition that would cover that. But then beyond that, that is a um. There, let's just say there's a lot of room to fall. Maybe
0: that's what it looks like. And I mean, they are at the intersection of a ton of interesting trends: AI, as you said, and big data, and some of the new trends in how applications are being built. So it's um. It's really interesting. And the company said, you know, they're going beyond R&D, entering new markets, enabling and growing the partner ecosystem and building a broad catalogue of industry solutions. It's the usual playbook. They don't want to be a one-trick pony. They want to become a platform and probably make their own acquisitions and broaden that. It all makes sense, but it's a a lot of money and someone's going to, as you say, they're going to want their return back eventually.
3: Haven't how did, how did they pivoted in the last, you know, couple of years? Right, they weren't really known
0: all the all along, right, as this AI company. Is that right? I think it's the Snowflake effect. Snowflake's been making a lot of noise, and that's driving both interest in alternatives to Snowflake and driving Databricks to be more aggressive, so they don't lose the market to their noisy competitor.
3: Oh, well, one way to make noise is an IPO. I mean, I, I'm just curious. There, there's always something behind the scenes as a ride. They're not. They're not doing that to raise money. You're raising it privately on a Series H of all things. I don't know. I just raise an eyebrow.
1: I, I think there's still tremendous growth for them ahead, and probably they want to keep them um, private a little longer because I think the growth is going to be exponential moving forward. I mean, look, yeah, I, I don't know what they did before, but I know that there's not many companies that do the machine learning side of of, of data with like the ingestion and, and cleanup of data. And I think they have a product that I think is pretty strong in that area that a lot of people can't compete with where companies try to figure out internally. So yeah, if you're a company that's going to build your own uh, ML model and, and do it all yourself. Yeah, I I, I get it. You're not probably going to use Databricks, but I don't think all companies are in that position. So I actually think, yeah, I would give them money. You're in, everybody's in shock that Mike <laughs> just said that.
2: <laughs> I feel like it's just a question of like, what is the business case for the investment? Like, what do we? Wh- how do you spend that money in order to fuel that growth? I'm not suggesting that they don't have growth available to them. It's just a tremendous amount of cash to spend effectively in an organization um and and get that kind of return right the the standard for success is so incredibly high and i don't know certainly you can throw more money at engineering and at integration and certain things but like when you start getting um there's a point of sort of i don't want to call it diminishing returns but you have to be real intentional on the go-to-market side and how you spend money or you could you could burn money quite easily if you chose to. And again, I, it wouldn't matter except for the fact that the expectation here on the other side is is a growth rate that it has to be astronomical given this level of investment.
1: Yeah. I, OK, so if if we look at like, OK, it's a series H. So they've been going at it for a long, long time, I would say. But maybe they just hit the secret sauce now and, and now it's starting to pay off. I mean, I, I don't know how long Databricks has been around, but I've only heard of them rather recently. I don't know if anybody... Oh,
3: they've been around a while. But I will say 2020, they, they 2020. their annual run rate was 425 million. And I think this year they're calling for 600 million. So 75% growth is what they reported. So,
0: And they've got some good partnerships. They've got a strong Microsoft partnership. They, they're making some good moves. Yeah, th- th- In the context of their peers, uh, this is not unprecedented, unjustifiable. It's just a huge and potentially markets distorting amount of money that's the the thing that caused my eyebrows to rise but again the series a and the angel
3: investors and the series b those early investors i i just am surprised they don't want their money so
0: yeah so so who who put in the money this time counterpoint global morgan stanley led the round other new investors include bny mellon clearbridge university of california endowment most existing investors participated as well so that people are staying in and doubling down they see the growth. They see the growth.
1: Which is surprising, which means it's, it's, it's all right. When I see it here, the first, yeah, yeah. When I see the first set of names, yeah, I get worried. The second set of names, yeah, that's actually a good sign, right?
0: I mean, this is a, a very buoyant market. Uh, my own employer published its earnings yesterday, and the stock had a very nice bounce. So it, Databricks are hardly alone in having that interest. The data market is having a bit of a moment.
1: All off the back of all off the back of Snowflake, right? Everybody's kind of still on that uh, Snowflake high. That's that's what
0: it feels like. They're definitely the noisiest, yeah. But if they do many more rounds, they're going to run out of letters in the alphabet. It's going to be like COVID variants. <laughs> so,
1: so uh, yeah, well, yeah, or Jeez. So, uh, when do the IPO within the next year? Within the next six months? Within the next three months? Because they can't continue like that, right?
2: I mean, the question is when do they need the money from the IPO, right? And when does, they, I think that hopefully they're in the position to time it for when they believe the the peak will be in so that this infusion of evidently much needed cash um, into the organization will buy them the time to, to pick their moment. But, you know, I would expect that they would be ready to IPO very shortly. And then it's just a matter of timing the market.
1: Yeah, it's just a matter if enterprise clients still want to work with them if they're worried about. Yeah, their their status, if they're going to get acquired, so on and so forth. So I think
0: eventually your uh, your customer pipeline will dry up, no?
2: Who could acquire them?
0: I assume such a huge round. Exactly. This is a defensive move. They've made themselves too big to swallow for almost anyone. Yeah, no one's going to believe their valuation. Zach is right. Yeah. <laughs> surprise, surprise. It happens, it happens. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Zach, you've got to find a place where you can bet on these things that isn't the stock market yet. I don't know.
3: Well, I'm not doing well betting on myself. I work for a company. Unfortunately, the stock is the same. It was five, Actually, it's lower than it was five years ago. Yes,
0: lower than it was five years ago. So I'm not doing too well. <laughs> don't follow my lead. No, we'll see how that goes. But speaking of enterprise software financials and getting Mike's pay for stuff, uh, Docker is now going to start uh, demanding money for their desktop product. Uh, which has a lot of Twitter up in arms. Uh, People are like, I want to use the thing for free. I like it being free. That's uh, my favorite price. And just to clarify, the new paid-for model only kicks in if you have more than 250 employees and, or, or is it or? Okay, so it remains free if you have fewer than 250 employees and you have less than $10 million in annual revenue. Either of those stops being true, then you need to pay for Docker Desktop. Which you know seems fair enough. Once you get beyond that point, you're no longer a startup. You should be paying for for your software, Uh, but lots of people are absolutely up in arms about this. Now, what do you think, Mike? Do you use Docker Desktop uh, in your world?
1: No, nobody in our world uses Docker Desktop. But then we're talking only about. So you mean
0: it's just shadow IT? (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, it's just shadow IT that actually uses it. I mean, yeah, the the real IT guys don't don't, don't use anything interesting. It's all the, it, it's just like Databricks. Yeah, we, we don't actually use it, but um, no, but okay. So h- help me understand on the Docker side. So it's it's only the desktop developers that need to purchase a license. That That's what we're talking about?
3: Yeah. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Docker <laughs> desktop, are you sure people, do they think, is that what it is? Are they going to try to run containers on their desktop or explain that to me? Yeah. <laughs> i want to thank
1: you for asking zach because i want to do i wanted to ask the same question but not in a such blunt way yeah i agree if
3: that's the case i just have to laugh really this shit didn't take i'm sorry for the language edit that this didn't take <laughs> off in the data center but now it's on the desktop containers on desktops who's going to support this
2: obviously IT. <laughs>
0: Oh, it did. It did. It's already doing perfectly well. Paid for in the data center. That, that's not the issue. They, they're trying to hoover up some extra revenue from the desktop users. Wait, wait, wait. You think it's doing well in the data center containers? Um, as far as I can see, yes. Uh,
3: everyone's talking about it. In, in companies, you're, not, you're not talking running in a lab or in dev. Like no, no. Organizations no got a
0: huge are just... demand for providing containerized versions of software and integrations and all of this. Containers are very much where it's at for people who want to, to manage a bit more than SaaS, but not quite as much as running their own servers. It's a nice halfway house for them.
3: So let me translate that for the audience. What you're saying is containers are great for the engineers that like complexity but the business owners can care less and they want to go to SaaS and cloud. I just want to make sure we clear that
0: up for our listeners. That is a very elegant summary and with which I agree hundred percent. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> who's,
1: who's making the decisions? That's, that's the problem, right? It's, it's like, who's making the decisions? Like the geeks or, or the business people? And I think there is where the differentiation is. Um, but to Zach's point, is Docker desktop really kind of the like containerizing desktop? No, now I'm now I'm confused. Totally confused.
2: I didn't VMware did this. People did this with VMs, right? And 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 it was there's certainly developer use cases, and then there's the use cases of I don't like how Microsoft runs on my Mac or whatever, and so I'm gonna be the kind of nerd who abstracts it away in a Windows VM on my Mac, which is in itself painful to conceive. But
0: oh, there's my use case. I run a couple of containers here. I've got uh, a pie Hole in a container, and I've got uh, uh, Airbridge Bridge. So it's, um, what's it called? Apple's home IoT stuff for devices that aren't in the made-for-Apple IoT program. You run this piece of software and it's distributed as a container image, and it helps. And the good news
2: is that it. all those things feel real approachable for a home user, so that's great. Um, I-
0: uh, yeah, <laughs> this is not a general use case. Thank you. thank you for saying it. Thank you. Yeah, but thank you for but it, yeah. I
2: think that the, the the assertion here is presumably there's a set of developers and they want basically to harvest the developer licenses. Not you know unlike deciding that you're going to pay for the IDE and 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 separately presumably I'm willing to bet I'm willing to bet cold hard cash that somebody believes there's a bunch of citizen developers that are just dying to have containers on their laptops so that they can execute some BI stuff or whatever right and that that hypothesis that the citizen developer or the um unassuming business nerd needs this I, i'm willing to bet as part of the driver here um because those are the individuals that that um often are the um the shadow it that has power right but i i'm I'm, I'm skeptical if that's true, but I'm willing to bet that's a bet. Those
0: people are running Databricks in the clouds. They're paying, you know, Azure to host <laughs> Databricks for them. They don't <laughs> want containers on their desktops.
2: So. I, I would. I, I'm not suggesting it's accurate. I'm suggesting that I wouldn't be surprised if it was somewhere on the PowerPoint slide explaining this decision internally.
0: I wouldn't be surprised. I just think anyone yeah. expecting that will have a nasty wake-up call.
2: <laughs> Nasty wake up calls are the foundation of product yeah, management.
0: <laughs> that's how we learn.
2: <laughs> this is how we learn. This is our experience. You know what we're going to do? We're going to build a platform with a network and an ecosystem that's going to build all the plugins for us. Wait, we tried that once. When did that work? Oh, wait, no.
0: Write <laughs> once, run anywhere.
1: Containers feels a bit like Java to me. You know, when I look at it. Yeah, uh, it's it's completely the same playbook, and I think it does have a, a place. But I think people are just trying to fit, you know, uh, containers into the solution so that they can have the coolest thing. I mean, yeah, Java is still around, but it's not used by many. Um, some people might want to blame Oracle, but I think it was overhyped at the time. And um, yeah, I, I think containers are are starting to become the same way, except for some some very specific kind of high growth um, applications or high growth websites, let's say.
3: No, I, I, I'm thinking through that. I'm processing it and I, yeah, I tend to agree. And uh, we'll see, you know, time will tell. Again, is it, you No, know, I know you see it, Dominic, but I think, is it engineers that are doing this? I mean, or it, does it come up in conversation, right? When you're meeting with the CTO oh, or the business leaders, whether it's the <laughs> owner of HR or whoever, right? Who wants to deploy a HR the head of
2: hr really needs a docker container right
3: exactly and then now you look at a point where i mean mike you might know this better than anybody But desktop support can you imagine that introducing something like this into your support environment wow
2: that's not a thing
3: poor desktop support people yeah
2: honestly they are doing god's work and they're still doing it like decades later
1: yeah they really are
0: yeah, it's crazy. You
2: should pour <laughs> one out for a desktop This
0: is, uh, I think, a topic that <laughs> ties into the discussion about digital transformation. Uh, this whole containerization thing, it's, as you said, like, like, this inherits from the conversation we're having about virtualization uh, and goes back beyond that to, to roots in the mainframe world, which was containerized from the very beginning uh, through shared uh, time-sharing architectures. And... It's going to go again, but I think it's not going to go the Docker route. It's going to go the, the full SaaS route, which might you know, have containers behind the scenes for the convenience of management, but it's going to be an exponentially smaller number of people managing it. And the benefits, as you say, are going to be things that business users and HR leaders and whatnot care about, uh, which is what Benedict Evans uh, was writing about, about how some of the old paradigms like mainframes, like virtualization, like early interpretations of cloud have stuck around longer than some of the rosy-eyed uh, predictions and PowerPoint slides <laughs> may have led people to believe. But now we're hitting some inflection points, not on the technology side, but on the business side that's causing those uh, assumptions to be reevaluated. evaluated An example that he brings is uh, a big CPG company that has a old-style ERP software that works perfectly well, except it can't ship less than 1,000 units per order, which is really hard if you want to do direct consumer sales, as even I rarely buy 1,000 units of anything.
2: Just just Apple products, Dominic.
0: <laughs> well, I said rarely, not never.
2: <laughs> I, I don't know that that's – I mean – I think that's a somewhat reductive example. I, I don't. I'm going to disagree because obviously I, I have a a real horse in the core systems or legacy space. Like that's that's definitely my domain right now. But my my feeling is yes. Obviously that is this kind of situation where we would need to enhance that application to make it functional. And and I think it's more than the sort of thousand units issue. I'm sure there's a lot of that application that would have to change if you wanted to sell direct. Right. On the other hand, um there is those old older pieces of software have often been tuned quite closely to the business processes that they're meaning to support. And those business processes are often what a company calls their competitive advantage. Right. And, and so if the way that we do business, the way that we execute our inventory management, the way that we handle our supply chain, the way that we build our product is often the way in which we win. It isn't always necessarily an additional feature or button in the end product, but it is the business model by which we are successful. And that business model often has to do with operational efficiencies. And that's truer in physical businesses than it is in software where DevOps is DevOps, perhaps. And, and so the idea that you can modernize these applications without and, and standardize them against more modern versions of them without losing that customization or reinvesting in that customization, I think is actually more risky than people let on. Which isn't to say that they don't have to evolve, right? Yeah,
1: I, I agree. And I disagree with you, Lilac, because I think at the base of what you're saying, the company you're describing that kind of has that competitive advantage, they are a company that looks at continuous improvement, looks at taking the leap, so on, so forth. And I think what you, you know, a company that's a stagnant, that's not a company that's a stagnant. And, you know, like, you know, take the Amazon approach of, of Bezos. He always says, like, hey, we're building a forever company. A forever company doesn't stay put. It doesn't, like, companies fail all the time. And it's because they get stagnant. They don't look at other things. And then they can't pivot to, like, what Dominic explained. Like, oh, now we need to do, like, e-commerce. How, you know, direct to consumer. How do we do this? So I think these companies that stay put in these solutions, and say hey it's good enough for us they will die and the thing is you need to continue to evolve now maybe your solution is good enough but how does it work with others how does it and companies that don't challenge that yeah they suffer and and i see it all the time right companies using software that you know what this works i don't want to change it i don't want to but you need to you need to rip the band-aid off because you're not seeing what the external factors are and i think these people like they've they work in their four walls and never look outside those four walls. Um, yeah, so you never find out about containers and do cool stuff with containers maybe. But, you know, it's
2: you obviously know what I'm getting limiting. at, right? yeah, I, do. So- I, th- I think it needs to evolve. I think these things need to continue to grow and change and shift and integrate and and develop. I just think that the, the you know, idea that... Um, well, honestly there's a there's a sort of element of like buying a, a large scale white white goods appliance, like a washing machine, right? And you're like, I'm gonna go buy the new one, it's like so much cooler, it's like, Wi Fi enabled. My washing machine is Wi Fi enabled. I don't know what that buys me. I have yet to configure it. But, you know, we're gonna go buy this new shiny thing, but the truth is is that is that sometimes
0: Mine sends me notifications when it's done a load, which
2: is surprisingly I... useful I... actually. Oh, okay. Um I <laughs> but you know if the old one was working right is that necessarily what what needs to happen i can go unload it mine plays a song that feels sufficient (laughs) also it stops making unbelievable amounts of noise in the next room which feels real real useful okay um uh maybe
0: that's that's how it notifies Mm -hmm. you it's Mm old
2: school Mm -hmm. um So I guess the question is, you know, was it built better back in the olden days or or should we replace it with a new one? Or I just think that this is a nuanced decision where a significant amount of investment is required in both directions, regardless of which path you take to maintain currency and usability and business support. And, And I think the sort of the idea that you can just take an off the shelf replacement is folly.
0: Oh, absolutely. No, and we all know the stories of migrations just for the sake of the latest cool thing and how badly those tend to go for all concerned. Uh but the flip side of that is if you have something that's deeply, deeply entwined with your business process, and then that business process changes dramatically, and then that's a an inflection point where you might reevaluate all sorts of different things. And the right decision may well be I, you know, other parts of the business have not changed. Therefore, the right thing to do is to reconfigure uh, the software to, to run the new business it's, process.
1: It's even worse than that because sometimes the business process needs to change. And the answer is like we cannot change the business process because the software in the system doesn't allow it. And then the company is hosed. And Total I think that happens trouble. a lot more than people would agree with, and then that breeds complacency in organizations that really suffer because of it I, I think that's the real problem that people need to avoid and I think some IT departments still haven't it, haven't gotten it in their heads that this is why evolution needs to occur in some in, in some standpoints and I, I agree like don't go bleeding edge but I think you need to keep up to a certain amount where reasonable you know you really need a good decision making process when you're evaluating upgrades new hardware so on and so forth right so yeah just my two cents
2: but but you're right still not looking for containers on your laptop is what you're telling us mike <laughs> no
1: i don't know why i need containers on my laptop buy a good damn laptop that's what i would tell people. yeah 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 <laughs> Why would you need containers on your laptop? I still don't understand. Dominic okay.
2: just gave you three use cases. You apparently <laughs> has already... His yeah. washing machine needs to talk to him through a container on his laptop.
1: <laughs> to Apple Home. No, so no, So that I no, can no.
0: shout no. at Siri to turn my lights on and off.
1: <laughs> How many people do you think are making home uh, containers on their on their PCs?
2: Well, we've met Dominic.
1: We've met Dominic, yes, yes. <laughs> Dominic is the fringe case. So
2: that's, so, that's, that's one. That's <laughs> one.
3: So, in, in all of this, in all of this, how about no code, low code? I mean, I you're wanting to develop some apps. We haven't talked about that in a while. So, where does that leave containers? I mean, everybody, everything has a place. I just, I just think that. No, there's absolutely, not much room for there's, they're
0: antithetical. If you're looking for a low code, no code solution, you don't want to be messing with the guts and dinners of what's used to deliver that. Almost by definition, the wave of the future yeah. is for things to be delivered. Yeah via the cloud, with minimal management, and that's what enables these new, you know, low interaction, low barrier-to-entry models, whether it's full-on low-code, no-code, or just more lightweight application development and so on. And then behind the scenes, there can be all sorts of weird and wonderful things and interactions with the the existing uh, mainframe and whatever, erp that this is running the the business processes that haven't changed i mean ultimately you still have to you do manage your stock in your warehouse at some level and there's some very well proven solutions for doing that but and of course the cloud has its own problems with security as we found out this week a <laughs> okay. uh, nice segue there did you like that um the yeah <laughs> If, for those of you who've been paying attention, ChaosDB is the name of the vulnerability that was nice. because, of course, these days security vulnerabilities <laughs> need their own marketing. Um, this one doesn't appear to have a cute logo, so it's not quite at the level of you know Heartbleed and and those uh, old classics, but uh, still, it's a, it's a good name. This is a vulnerability in Microsoft's Cosmos CosmosDB uh, database as a service offering, or specifically in one of the API endpoint integrations. Uh, so this company called Wiz Security got in through an integration with a Jupyter Notebook that uh, Microsoft turned on for everyone, uh, which, in retrospect, they they may (laughs) reconsider that decision. Um, And this exposed not only the credentials to the database itself, but also allowed you to look at other users' database, which is particularly lovely. And so that has been addressed, and Wiz and Microsoft are working together, uh, but yeah, that's kind of a uh, ding to to that particular delivery method. So you, you need to, you still need to know what you're doing in the cloud. It, it doesn't obviate uh, the needs to you know watch your endpoints and secure them properly.
2: And really, so this like. is news to me. Tell me more about <laughs> the fact that the responsibility <laughs> of managing security doesn't disappear when you host your workloads and your data.
3: But let's think about cloud, right? The, the premise of cloud is agility, right? Do things fast. Let's set up compute. That's the premise. I mean, so you, you think that. And then the other thing I think of is, or who are these people? I mean, these are people of running HR departments. These are business leaders that are leveraging the cloud for the most part. And so, you know, there's a problem there. It brings up a, a tremendous problem. So, you know, it's um, it's working the way it was supposed to work, cloud. It's just, you know, we just need to maybe slow down a little bit. But we have to remember Cloud is all about agility, and that word does have some sacrifices. And the people using it and the data that they're trying to protect are not your IT people.
0: Well, it's more complex than that because, as in this case, the vulnerability mm-hmm. was at a point of integration between two different cloud services, and that's the key issue. And securing your own individual thing is relatively speaking easy. It's not foolproof, but it's easier. But securing all the possible interactions between different components, only some of which you control yourself, that's where it gets exponentially hard.
3: I mean, so why is it more complex? I, I don't think it's more complex than that. You're right. Architectures are more complex, right? You have SASE now at the edge. You've got cloud, multi-cloud. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll give you that. But I, it's it's pretty basic to me. It's agility. People are trying to leverage all these things here and there wherever they can to spin up something fast or leverage this or that. And it's the people doing it. It's, it's again, it's not IT. There It's these, I, I keep not uh, picking on HR at all, and by any means, but, you know, CRM application or whatever it might be, or it could be somebody in a sales organization. I, I don't, I think it's basic, but, you know, um, how you solve it's complex. And you're not going to solve it with people. Uh, I think Nur, uh, Nur Zook over at Palo Alto Networks had a good analogy a couple of weeks ago, and he said uh, today. Socks are run by people with help from machines, but we have to get to a point where they're run by machines with uh, assistance from people. And I think that's really where we need to get because of this complexity, this big surface vector.
0: I'm not sure I 100% agree with that formulation. Uh, I'm in the process of trying to onboard a, a SaaS vendor that has to integrate with some of our internal SaaS systems. And so obviously there's a technical component to that assessment that our internal departments are conducting but there's also a human level of it you know what are you actually trying to achieve here is this the best way to achieve it or is there a different way around uh this particular requirement that's going to be less onerous from the security perspective and i mean watch out for me to have to eat my words five or ten years from now but i don't see machines getting to that level of understanding anytime soon you,
3: uh, well, I disagree. We can. You and I disagree, which is good. This is fun. Uh, this I like this. Right? We can have a good conversation. I adamantly disagree with you. You cannot go forward without machines helping out. There's so much data, and forget the splunks and these people that transmit, you know, data in transit. That doesn't matter. None of that matters. What matters is the data, right? You can bring it from point A to point B. That doesn't help me. But there is a ton of data, and to go through all that data, if you're trying to tell me, oh, we still need people. Oh, the machines, you know, shouldn't be leading the charge. That's a losing proposition, man. I adamantly agree with that. I think they should
0: absolutely be involved. But yeah, I think we're maybe talking semantics about who leads. Sorry, Mike. I feel like we're going to
1: break for a... I I feel like we're going to break for a commercial of Databricks. Like...
3: (laughs) 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 Well, I I, I just think there's a lot going on. Look, security used to just be a firewall. Okay, you had a firewall in and out. Then you had IPS and all that is real basic. But now, think about this. We cannot get... Uh, security, right? Think about SolarWinds or some of these other hacks, right? With old software, we're talking hundreds of devices. Now we're looking at IoT with millions and billions of devices. And you're telling me that there's a human aspect that has to lead all this? No way, no how. Not going to happen. No. I, well,
1: but but someone's got to architect, right? And I think it starts well, absolutely. from that point. Absolutely. And I, I don't think a machine's going to architect. I think the machine's going to be mainly on the... Um, Operate. On the yeah, incident response. Incident response or, or finding... Um, you know, digging into like where your vulnerabilities are, have you know hey, I How do this, I it, in, that. right? Like powder detection things the, like
2: that.
3: The state of cloud security twenty twenty-one report, and we can put the link in the show notes. Thirty-six percent of companies suffered a serious cloud data leak or breach in the past twelve months. Thirty-six percent. So three of you are sitting there, look to your right or your left. I'm one <laughs> of those two, if not you really, <laughs> it? no, it's crazy, right? Eight yeah, out of yeah. ten are worried that they're vulnerable to a major misconfiguration breach. And 64% say the problem will get worse or stay the same. And what's crazy about this is there's no ramifications really. Think about it. I mean, Microsoft's stock price hasn't gone down. I mean, it's, you know, they, they get, okay, I, I I guess something gets breached in my data. I get this letter in the mail. Hey, you get a free service to this credit monitoring for a year. That's it, really? I mean, there's no, it's. No- I, I
1: I was going to say, I think though, companies are more focused on how they recover rather than Yeah, the breach itself, right? It's like, hey, like, if I lose data, what's going to happen? How public is it going to be? How unpublic? I I still think, you know, we're not sharing enough cross company. I mean, the cases that are that are out there, because it involves multiple parties, but single party cases, I mean, no one's gonna, no one really talks about it, even though there are laws that, that, you know, you have to disclose. But yeah, you know the lawyers get involved and so on and so forth. So I, I don't think it's uh, it, it's so clear cut because I mean we all hear the whispers from a certain company that this happened and a certain company that that happened. And yeah, security is really hard. It's um, you know I, I don't want to be a, a in the security field. That's for sure. And um, yeah, it, it's it's not so easy. Go ahead, Lilac.
2: Um, I think from. My perspective: one of the things that we do is we talk about this without uh, anchoring on a denominator, right? And so we talk about, oh gosh, this the there the are cloud breaches and there's and there's thirty three percent or whatever that Zach cited. But I I wonder: was it really that much better on site? Is it that much better with on prem data centers? Do we have a higher level of the, the architecture is obviously different and more complicated when you're starting to bring together SaaS services and cloud hosted workloads and and so forth. But separately. What before we throw stones at Microsoft and Amazon and Google, which I'm super happy to do because I love throwing stones at them. But before we throw stones at them, why don't we consider whether or not we were doing that much better on site? And I think to your point, Mike, those are the ones that are, in, are not reported. Those are the ones that are single vendor, single company ones that are, are not broadly discussed. And so uh, I don't the, know. The let's, problem, let's set up the, the right problem, though, standard. Is-
1: yeah, the problem though is like Microsoft and Amazon have not made this easy. They've added the complexity. They've, and it's not like they're telling people like, "Ooh, you did this. Like, have you? Did you really want to do that?" Like, they're trying to sell you add-on services for this type of stuff, and and that's a bit of the problem because yeah, when it's on prem, I think it's back to what Zach said. Everybody just looks at the firewall, like oh, how's the firewall, and uh, and that's part of the problem. Yeah, so I, I think it's like old versus new, and. Yeah, it's it maybe Zach. When you said, "like, yeah, no one cares about data in transit," I, I think that data in transit it's oh. the in and out, and it's it's so so something's communicating to somebody, and and that's where your your weak point is, right?
3: Yeah, I shouldn't I shouldn't said it that way, right? I mean, there are companies that focus on that, but we really need to focus on securing that data and how we do that. I think that's what I, I really meant to say, and and maybe it's semantics, Dominic. I, I don't know, and but I, I think it's a healthy conversation. It's not one that's going to be had in five or ten minutes. And I think the future of security, we have to think about it. And let's think about China. I mean, they have this great firewall of China. It's it's hard to work around when you're deploying something from an architecture perspective globally. And you know this, Mike, if you have, you know, uh, part of your organization in China. But my goodness, they're looking good in all of this in a way, as crazy as it sounds. Yeah. Did you see
0: their new initiative to train hundreds of millions of new hackers? By trying to ban teenagers from playing computer games they're going to figure out ways around <laughs> in no time flat and then they're going to go looking for something else <laughs> that's the most yo dangerous. that that yo that's
1: crazy one hour a day on the weekend no no time to play games during the week i mean it it's insane and you know i never thought of it the way you put it dominic but that's a good point i mean yeah people are gonna I don't know. It's just uh, it's it's just a bit weird, um, and, and I think um, you know people find stuff around ways around the uh, the, the Chinese firewall, and uh, but I think yeah, there's good and bad. I mean, there's good and bad at at, at that stance. So I, I I don't, yeah, I think here we have our own problems because of that. Indeed.
0: Anyway, with that, it has been fantastic to talk to the three of you again. I hope the audience also enjoyed the chat. Uh, as ever, you can follow us all on Twitter at Roll4Enterprise with a number four or on our LinkedIn page. The links are in the show notes. The theme music that should be playing under my voice if all has gone according to plan and I can still remember how to edit is by my good friend Renato Podesta. Uh, please do send us your comments, thoughts, suggestions, etc., And we look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks, everybody.
2: Thank you.